let's get into the word of God this morning. Let me invite you to open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So we, as we know, we are in the middle of the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Just a a magical time, uh, a unique season where we sing songs that we only sing during this time of year. Uh, And, you know, I say magical, and really that's kind of a a pun. Like, we can get caught up in the the majesticness of Christmas, but really uh, what we need to focus on is the majesty of our Savior. This morning we sang joy to the world. What, what does it mean to have joy? What does it mean that the Lord coming has brought joy to the world? Does it mean happiness? Is it laughter? Is it excitement? Is it, uh, does it mean it's time to receive gifts? I mean, what exactly is joy? Well, if you were to look up the Greek word, you will find that the Greek word is kara. And it means gladness. It means a, a state of rejoicing. There is a sense of happiness in that. And really, joy is a matter of the heart. Joy is when your heart is singing. Sure, sure, we can, we can sing with our voices, but that doesn't necessarily mean we are singing from the joy that's in our heart. True joy comes from our hearts. Singing from the heart can even come in the midst of sadness. Joy is not strictly when our circumstances around us make it easy to be joyful. It means that even in the midst of suffering, we can find joy in that. Because here's the reality. Despite any pain that we may be facing, we can still rejoice because our joy is found where moths or rust cannot destroy. Our joy is found in a place where thieves cannot break in and steal it. For believers, our joy is in the fact that our eternity has been paid for by Jesus, who came 2,000 years ago as a baby. And so if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you've repented of your sin then we have reason to have joy. Amen? And so Christmas allows us to focus on that joy that came to us. And so our our text this morning, of course, is a a classic passage that will be read in probably millions of households this year as we think about Christmas. So let's look at God's word this morning. We're going to primarily focus on Luke 2, 8 through 20. uh, But I'm going to start reading in chapter 2 of Luke Uh, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord 
shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy that you have brought us in the gift of your son. The one who would come and pay the price of our sin, Lord, who would bear your wrath, which has to be the most frightening thing in the world so that we would not have to ever face it. Lord, I pray that you would protect us, Lord, this year, every year, every year for me, Lord, it is a temptation to take my eyes off of the real reason for the season. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in the commercialism of it all and gifts and things like that. But Lord, no matter our circumstances this morning, would you remind us of the joy that comes from you alone? A joy that that moth and rust cannot destroy. A joy that thieves cannot break in and steal. Lord, thank you. You have secured eternity for us. For those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in you, God. So, Lord, would you fill us with joy this morning? Would you remind us of that, Lord? Would you help us to center our gaze on the Savior? That when it comes next Sunday, we don't wake up and forget the fact that we have freedom this morning because of what we celebrate. God, thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to look at three different things concerning the joy of Christmas. Here's the first thing I want us to see. The joy of Christmas is found in the Savior. The joy of Christmas is found in the Savior. So what we have here, the scene is in the fields and the shepherds are, are watching their flock in the evening. I mean, can, can you imagine this? Like, you're just in the field day in, day out. Like, you're, you might have to chase away some coyotes, some wolves, some bears, something like that. But, like, all of a sudden here, in the midst of the darkness, the angel, this angel appears to them. Like, and it says that they were filled with great fear. You know, how, how, how many of you have ever had this? Like, I, I wish I could have an angel just show up to me. Like, the reality is, in that moment when it first happened, we would not be wanting that 
This was a frightening thing to have this angel come and appear to them. But listen to what the angel says in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold. Now, when we ever see the word behold, it's get ready for what I'm about to say. Do not miss this part. This is something you must hear. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, so if one angel wasn't enough, all of a sudden you have this multitude of angels who show up. And they begin praising God together. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This really is the reason Christmas, right? This is what Christmas is all about, a Savior coming to us. This is where the true joy is found. And what this good news would have meant for the people back in Bible times can be a challenge for us to grasp. We've we've talked about this the last few weeks. Like It can be a, a challenge for us to understand what the good news of a Savior coming meant for them. If you remember, the Jews at this time, they were under Roman rule, and and it wasn't a very pleasant thing. And and so when they thought of a Savior, they thought of a Messiah, they were thinking somebody was coming to rescue them from the Romans, thinking the Romans were their greatest problem. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that there were prophecies of a suffering servant who would come to set the Jews free. Because as you may recall, they were kicked out of their own city why because of their sin it was a punishment from god that they led them into captivity and while they were in captivity is when they received this promise like you're going to be a there's a rescuer coming there's a messiah can you imagine being forced out of your own homes for your own foolishness and for those who know the history of the israelites you know that there was a longing for a savior a longing for a rescuer. And finally, after thousands of years, the rescuer came. But when did this need for a savior first arise? Like when did the when did humanity first need a savior? Was it when the Jews, God's chosen people, were led in captivity? Or did the need for a Savior happen far before that? Open up your, turn to, keep your finger here, turn to Genesis chapter 3. The problem with creation, the problem with humanity started from the very beginning. The need for a Savior came very quickly into history. Look at Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 1. So in the pr- previous three chapters, we, we know that all was, all was well, God created, his creation was good, it wasn't man for, good for man to be alone, and then God brought uh, a woman to Adam, and he said it was very good, and they were thriving in this garden, but things quickly turned here in Genesis chapter 3. Now the servant Serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I mean, don't you like, don't you read this and, and you know, like, it's like watching a horror movie. Like, maybe, hopefully you don't watch too many of those. But if you've ever seen a horror movie, aren't they all the same? Like, you see what's coming, and you're just like, no, don't do that. Like, you see this, you're like, Adam and Eve, don't do this. It's like a horror movie. Like, there's a creepy sound in an, in an attic, or, you know, or a basement. And, like, what does everybody do? Like, first of all, if that's happened to me, I'm like, nope. Like, I ain't going down there. Like, I'm fine right up here. <laughs> but but you, you're like, don't. Don't take the fruits. We know what's going to happen. What are you doing? And that, that's what I feel heading into this. And yet, they disobey God. They eat the fruit. And from that point on, what has mankind been doing? Running from God. And this set the stage for the need for a Savior. It wasn't when the Israelites were kicked out of Jerusalem. The need for a Savior happened when Adam and Eve sinned against almighty God. But even in Genesis, there is a whisper of a Savior. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Finally, after thousands of years of wondering when the Messiah would come, Jesus came. Luke 2 happened. And the Savior was born who brought great joy. We are all in need of a desperate Savior, aren't we? We are all desperately in need for a rescuer. It's not because of anyone outside of us. It's because of our own sin who dwell, what, that dwells within us. And when we look at the breakdown of humanity in Genesis, the way sin ravaged the world, it's still taking place today, isn't it? But here's the joy that we find in Christmas. Romans 5, 6 says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is what the Christ child came to do. 
He came to make a way so that we would be made right. The joy of Christmas is not found in putting a Christmas tree up with decorations. It's not in the gifts found underneath the tree. It's not found in the family and the friends you'll gather with during this time of year. The true joy of Christmas is found in the baby that came to die for us 2,000 years ago. This is what we celebrate. This is why we sing joy to the world. Because of what Christ has done for us. Let me ask you this morning, are you placing your joy in Christ or are you looking for it in other things? You know, really, there's a twofold danger in this time of year for, for all of us. One danger is being caught up in the, in the commercialization of, of it all. Like, let, let me just first say, I, I like having a Christmas tree up. I love decorating our house. Over the years, I've come to ca- not care if you do it before, you know, Thanksgiving. It's all right. Because there, there's a, it's, a, it's a joyful time. It's, it's a fun thing to do. I love giving ki- gifts to my kids, and I love giving gifts to my wife and to, to our loved ones. I love gathering together as family. I love that part of Christmas. But, but here's the temptation. I can look at that and base all my joy on how that goes. I can base my joy on do I get what I want? Are my kids going to be happy? Are they not going to fight? Are they not going to complain that they didn't get something that they really wanted and said they got something different? Like all those things, can, we can set ourselves up for failure if all of our hope is put into that. On the other side, the other danger could be that maybe you don't have a whole lot of family to celebrate. Maybe you can't afford to put a whole lot of gifts under the tree. And so you don't have joy because of what you can't give from the commercialization of Christmas. But here's the reality. The good news is not what we can put under the tree. The good news is what came in the form of the baby Messiah who was born 2,000 years ago. So, So whether you have abundance or whether you have very little, you have everything you need in Christ. And my prayer for you this season is that no matter how this season goes, that you remember what Christmas is all about. Whether you are by yourself, whether you're going through a hard time, whether you're dealing with some traumatic stuff, that you would remember even in the midst of the season that Christ has already paid the ultimate price for our greatest problem, our sin. The joy of Christmas is found in the Savior. We also see this in the text. The joy of Christmas is for all people. The joy of Christmas is for all people. Look at verse 8 again of Luke 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So here's what we have to understand about shepherds. Were they a high-class people? Like, is this like the, you know, the profession that you look forward to? Like, you went to the nearest university, and you're like, oh, man, this is the best shepherding school in the world. I'm going to make tens of dollars. <laughs> like, that, it, shepherding was not this fancy profession that people looked up to. In fact, more than likely, most shepherds were poor, and often they were rented out to to, to be shepherds for other people's flocks. And if you remember, what was David in the Bible? He, he was a shepherd. He was the youngest. He was a kid. 
So, so these shepherds very likely could have been young, very likely were poor, they were looked down upon. This was not a profession that, was, that people looked highly on. They were dirty. I mean, you're out in a field, you're messing with sheep, you're not going to be clean. Like, this was, this was not a popular thing. And, and you think about, like, of all people that the angels could have come to, why the shepherds? I mean, why didn't he come to Caesar Augustus? Could you imagine if the, if the angels showed up to, like, the, the, relig- the, the, the leaders of, of the country at this time? Wouldn't that have, a, like, a better impact? What about the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees? Maybe if the angels would have showed up to the religious leaders, it would have set them straight. But that, that's not who the angels came to. The angels came to the lowly shepherds. The angels showed up to the people whom society sort of despised, sort of looked down to. It was a, it was a necessary job that somebody had to do, but this was for the poor people. Why not, why not show up in the temple? Wasn't that where the typical place where angels showed up? No. That's not who God chose to bring the good news to. And I think that's so helpful for us today to understand that good news is not just for those who have it all together financially. Good news is not for those who... are amazing in their gifts. The joy of Christmas is that the Savior came to save people of all types of backgrounds. Rich, poor, middle class, dark-skinned, light-skinned, intelligent, not so intelligent. We read in Romans 2.11 that God shows no partiality. You know, sadly, we live in a society that, that tends to value those who are wealthy, would you say that's somewhat true? Like, who are the people that all of a sudden their opinions matter somehow because they can dribble a basketball or throw a football or kick a soccer ball? Like, why, you ever wonder, like, or are they actors? Why are we giving these people platforms and why did all of a sudden what they say, like, become something that everybody should listen to? If you were walking into the grocery store and you see the magazines on the side, are, are, do you see poor people on there? Now, who, who, are the, who are they following? Who is the gossip all about? It's all about wealthy athletes, actors, and the only time you see anything about poor is if those who used to own millions of dollars have, have gone poor. Like society in general looks down and despises those who are poor. It despises those who are of a lesser class, and yet here we have God saying to the angels, go to the shepherds. Brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourself, that is good news for us. That is reason for joy this morning. Salvation is not for a particular type of person. Salvation is for all people. And even after all, when you think about it, consider the fact that Jesus did not come with pomp and circumstance. He didn't come riding on a white horse as a warrior. He came as a baby who was born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough. And I want you to consider what the prophecies of Jesus said. So turn with me now, keep a finger. Okay, we're going to come back to Luke 2, but for now, turn with me to Isaiah 53. 
No doubt, if you've been at this church a long time, you have heard me read some portion of this, and you will continue to hear uh, because of just remembering who our Savior was. Like, God's plan is perfect, isn't it? I mean, Jesus could have come reigning on a throne, couldn't he? Couldn't have he just came from heaven as an adult-looking man and ruled the earth, and, we, and he would be worthy of that? And yet he came, and he was a carpenter. He was, he was poor. Look at what the, Isaiah 53, starting in verse 2, says of him. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry grounds. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This was not somebody that just stuck out from a physical standpoint. He wasn't like this impressive model that everybody just wanted to follow. Like, he's very simple. In fact, no, like, no majesty could be visibly seen just from the way he looked on the outside. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their face, hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the way the Savior was treated. This is why when we, when we read in the New Testament that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, it's true. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, I, I think of... I think of how many people were there at, at Christ's crucifixion who just felt sorry for him. Oh, here's this poor guy who, yeah, he probably didn't do much, but he's having to suffer. Like, who, who they should have felt sorry for is the fact that it was their own sin who caused the Savior to lose his life. Jesus was up there not because he lost. Jesus was up there to win. Verse 5, he's pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Here's the reality. Like, our temptation is we want to have something to offer. We feel sorry for ourselves because we don't have more to give. And what Jesus is saying is apart from him, nobody has anything to give. When you look at the Savior, we can't be like the world. The world boasts in things that just don't matter. And we are tempted to do the same thing, to want to have this resume to come and say, look how amazing I am. Apart, like the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there's not a whole lot we know about. That makes me think Jesus lived somewhat of an ordinary life. Now, I don't want to take away the fact that he was, he, he, he was sinless, which is amazing in and of himself. Like Jesus came humbly. Jesus didn't come to present his resume. Hold on a second. My phone is just going crazy right now. My family's texting me right in the middle of a sermon. Sorry, I'm distracted. Jesus was humble. In all of us, we have nothing to boast in. We have nothing to bring to the table that should make anybody look at us and think we're special. If they do, it should only be an opportunity for us to give praise and glory back to our Father who's allowed us to do anything good in our lives. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned it our way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's what we see. Do you think of yourself as insignificant this morning? Do you view yourself as someone who has very little to offer this world? Let me just remind you, first and foremost, apart from Christ, that is absolutely true. Not just for you, but for everybody. Nothing good have I to bring simply to the cross I cling like, if you feel that way, let that be a, a reminder that Jesus came to save those who were lost, those who were dead, those who had nothing to value. So stop looking at yourself and look to what the Savior has done. Look at how he came. He came and showed up to the shepherds. He revealed the good news to them. He didn't deliver it to the rich, famous people. The joy of Christmas is for all people, people, it doesn't matter ultimately what others think of you. It doesn't matter how others view you. It doesn't matter about that. Your worth isn't found in other people. Your identity is found in Christ. And he has made a way for you to be made right with him. Perhaps this morning you are feeling sorry for yourself, as I said. All you are able to see when you look in the mirror is someone who is worthless, unworthy of salvation. Let me just remind you what our Savior said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. If you find yourself unproductive this morning because of what you have to offer, let me remind you, you are wearing a yoke that you weren't meant to carry. The reality is you can't carry those things. The reality is you're not good enough. The reality is you will never be good enough. But you don't have to be because Jesus was. And that's the whole point. Maybe the best thing for you is to lay all of that down and to rest in your Savior who paid the price for your sins. Salvation is for all people. No matter what you look like, may your joy be found in the Savior who made a way for all of us. Look at verse 15. Of Luke 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered. And what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here's the last thing. The joy of Christmas is to be proclaimed. The joy of Christmas is to be proclaimed. 
So the, the shepherd's first response was to go see if indeed what the angels proclaimed was true. And what you see is you see these, uh, the announcement of a Savior coming. There were different responses to this reality. There are different uh, things that ways people responded. First of all, uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, if you remember, uh, they came to, uh, to Zechariah and his wife, I slipped my name right now, and said, hey, you're going to be with child who is going to prepare the way for the Savior. And so what did Zechariah do? He doubted. He didn't believe. And so what happened? He was made mute until the baby was born. So his response to, this, um, to the Messiah was disbelief. Mary, the mother of Jesus, received the good news and embraced it according to chapter 1, verses 38 through 40. And the shepherds here in Luke 2 wanted to see the truth for themselves. And so they got up and they ran to Bethlehem to see if this was absolutely true, what the angels had said. And to their delight, there they found the Savior lying in a manger. And they proclaimed to Joseph and Mary what they had just received from the angel. They couldn't keep their joy inside. The only natural thing was to tell others what they had heard. And notice what the different people who were around, how they responded. There were some who wondered, it said, about what they said. They were, they were amazed and they weren't really sure how to other, understand. Like they weren't sure how to process. What, what does all this mean? How could this be the Savior? Remember, they were looking for a king to come, not a baby. They were looking for somebody to overthrow today, not down the road. And so many of them were curious, but Mary, we see, pondered them in her heart. She, she treasured these thoughts. I mean, can you imagine the joy she must have had? The experts believe that she was a teenager, a very young teenager, 15, 16 possibly. I mean, what, what was it like for her? Ladies, imagine if you're, when you were a teenager, if an angel comes to you and says, hey, guess what? You're going to be pregnant. Like, first of all, like, we, we understand how biology works, right? Something has to happen in order for that to take place. And so no doubt Mary understood, like, storks are not what brings families, babies. Kids, if that's what your parents have told you, they, they're wrong. <laughs> and yet, this came miraculously so. I mean, imagine, what was this like for Mary to carry the Savior? She obviously understood this was a miracle, and she gave birth to a child in light of having no intimacy with a man. What was this like for her? And then from there, the shepherds left, and what did they do? They worshipped God. And, and here we see, we see this pattern when it comes to the joy of Christmas, a, a pattern for us to follow. So let's just kind of work through that a little bit. It starts, first of all, there's three Ps. I don't have it on the screen, but 
it starts, first of all, with pondering the Savior. This season, ponder the Savior. Think about what happened surrounding the day of his birth. Read through the Gospels and be in awe of all the little details surrounding the birth of Christ. Clearly, you, you cannot, if you believe this to be true, walk away without clearly seeing the hand of God on this child. If you remember, Herod, the wise men came to visit Herod and, and said, hey, where is the child who has been born, the king? Like, we've come to worship him. And if you remember Herod, he said, hey, go find out and then come back and tell me where he's at so I can come worship him. And then the wise men were made aware of, hey, don't go back to Herod. He does not mean good. And so they went a different way home. And Herod got angry. And so what did Herod have ordered? All the killing of the sons that were two years and younger. Yet Jesus was spared in that. The fact that Jesus was born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough. Like, who comes up with this stuff? This all, I mean, it also, doesn't that kind of speak to the fact that salvation is for all people? Jesus was born in humble circumstances. Can you imagine the innkeeper after that? Like, oh my goodness, we put the Savior in a barn? <laughs> this is God's hand. The fact that the census was given for them to come and register in Bethlehem, just as the prophecies foretell, and he was born in this simple place. The fact that he chose Mary to, to carry the Savior who was not yet married and was a virgin. The way God brought them back to Bethlehem. It, it, it just, this, is, this story speaks of God's amazing power. God's understanding of simple people too. That salvation is for all of us. Take the time to ponder about these things. Remember what the baby came to do. Jesus came to die for us. Ponder the Savior. But also let that then lead to praise. Ponder the Savior. Praise the Savior. Why would God do this for me? I mean, why would He? Why should we gain from His life and His death? Why would Jesus be willing to leave heaven to come down to this mess of a place to deal with these mess of a people? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you remembered your sins and the fact that despite how sinful you are, even after salvation, Christ carries you? How can we not but praise our Savior? Christ alone is worthy of being worshipped, and he deserves all the glory. So we ponder the Savior. We praise the Savior. And lastly, we proclaim the Savior. We proclaim the Savior. We have received the good news of Christ. If we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And this is not meant for us just to sit back to ourselves and just think about our own salvation, to, to enjoy our little family moments and, and then forget about those around us. The good news is not just meant for us to, to keep to ourselves. The good news is meant to spread out 
good news is only good news to those who hear it. And really, in a sense, the shepherds were some of the first evangelists, weren't they? Telling of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we can't help but praise him, but we also can't help but proclaim him. And we see, we've moved through the book of Acts over the last couple years, and we saw the Holy Spirit given to the believers who then have been proclaiming the gospel for the last 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters, the work isn't completed. The call to proclaim is still active today. And let me ask you, are you proclaiming the joy, the real joy of Christmas to those around you? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Is the joy of Christmas the message you are proclaiming to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. Don't let this Christmas season come and go without remembering the joy that we have in the Savior. And may we proclaim it until he returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy that we have in Christ And Lord, as I've already mentioned, I, I just confess my, my temptation during this season is, is to find myself in a state of blah when it's all over. And Lord, often that comes from not spending enough time focusing on you. Oh, the joy, Lord, to know that our sins that once separated from you separated us from you, have been paid for. God, would you leave us pondering this week, praising, and Lord, let it, may it lead us to proclaim. Father, you are worthy of praise this morning. I thank you for your grace and mercy to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.